You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Even if we tossed out the baby with the bathwater, that baby can still be found in the Word of God. Consequently, if there's anything in man's theorizing that appears clean and true or seems helpful and needful, it will already be contained in the Word. Furthermore, the Scriptures have no unclean water that we have to filter out and set aside since God's Word is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. Amen. The worldly disciplines of psychology, counseling, and philosophy have attempted to throw out the bathwater of biblical teaching while keeping some of the things that fit within their humanistic views of the mind and soul of man. As Pastor Danny reminds us in today's message, everything in Scripture is God-breathed and pure. It's all meant for His glory and for your benefit. All truth that exists in our world can be backed up by the Word, and if it contradicts it, then it's not really the truth. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4, with today's edition of The Living Word. This cliche on the baby in the bathwater reflects popular thinking concerning the role of psychology in so-called Christian counseling. Perhaps we can commend the desire to lose nothing that would be of true spiritual value in ministering to people. However, as with every other umbrella cliche that we will consider, this one does not stand up in the light of God's Word. Listen carefully. The fallacy in this platitude can be uncovered in this manner. For the sake of argument, let us grant that there may be a baby sitting in the dirty bathwater of psychological theory. What if we throw out the whole system of psychological speculations and our approach to the ministry of counseling? Have we lost the baby? Not at all. Because even if we tossed out the baby with the bathwater, that baby can still be found in the Word of God. Consequently, If there's anything in man's theorizing that appears clean and true or seems helpful and needful, it will already be contained in the Word. Furthermore, the Scriptures have no unclean water that we have to filter out and set aside since God's Word is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. Amen. Now, those of you I just offended by that, okay? In the same way that AA is a fairly new thing, And if you believe that God didn't have the answer for the alcoholic before AA, you're saying the Word of God is not sufficient. In that same way, if you say that Christian counseling to throw it all out and just go with the Word of God and the Spirit of God and and what He says here, what you're saying is that we didn't have the answer until psychology came along. And there wasn't such a thing as Christian psychology until there was first human psychology. And that's just in our fairly recent past. And God says, look, I had the answer for your life. As a matter of fact, I got every answer for your life. Second Peter chapter 1. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. And He's given us His wonderful, precious promises that through them we can escape the corruption in the world. That's what the Bible says. God has the answer, always has had the answer. Well, I'll give you one more. What do you believe about hell? You know, there are churches today that say, well, you know, we don't believe in a literal hell anymore. 
What do you base that on? Because Jesus believed in literal hell. You know, Jesus, there's more recorded in this book, the New Testament, Jesus talking about hell than he talked about heaven. He talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Probably because he wanted to warn people. Because he doesn't want anybody to go to hell. The Bible says that God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to be saved. And yet there is a literal hell. And the Bible says hell was created for the devil and his angels. And yet, if we reject the grace of God through Jesus Christ, that's where we'll end up. And Jesus described it. He said it's a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. He told a story, not a parable, in Luke chapter 16 about a rich man who died and he woke up in hell. Another man, a beggar, that it was laid at his gate daily, but the rich man didn't pay any attention to him. And, and Lazarus, the beggar, he died, but he died in faith, and he woke up in a place called Abraham's bosom. That was the place all believers went before Jesus shed his blood on the cross. It was a place of comfort. But both down, both in Sheol. And one, Jesus described the rich man, and he is tormented in the flames. And he looks over and he sees Abraham. And he sees Lazarus, and he says to Abraham, Father Abraham, when you send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and touch my tongue because I'm tormented in these flames. That's what Jesus said. So I just can't accept that. Listen, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around it. You think that's hard to wrap your mind around? The Bible says that the great white throne judgment, death and hell gave up the dead that were in them, and they were all judged, and then they were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. It's worse than hell. That's what the Bible declares. I have a hard time wrapping my mind and my soul around it to believe that People I love, people in my family that don't receive Christ as Lord and Savior, when they die and they will go to hell, and then one day they'll stand before the great white throne and be cast in into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Try to wrap your mind around that. I can't totally do it, but that's what the Bible says, and that's what I'm warning people. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to go to hell, and you don't have to experience the lake of fire. Please don't go there. Please don't. That's why Jesus died. That's why he was buried. That's why he rose again. And if you'll receive him as Lord and Savior, you won't have to be damned. You can be saved. That's the truth. Okay, Lord, I will. Here's the charge. Preach the word. Here's the challenge. If you're going to preach the word and stand for truth and live for truth, well, in a lot of circles, you'd be considered a fool. You know, that's what God said to Hosea. Because of the backslidden nature of Israel and their hostility to the truth, he said the prophet is considered a fool. And then he goes on in the next verse of, of chapter 9, verse 8, and it says that snares and trouble await him, the true prophet, in the house of his God. Sometimes in the church, you stand for truth, you're going to pay a price. Sometimes if you stand for truth and you proclaim truth, people won't listen. But I'm not responsible for whether they listen or not. I'm responsible for proclaiming it. You know, God told Moses before he went to be the agent in God's hand to deliver the children of Israel, God told him, uh, you go and you speak, but they're not going to listen to you. That's encouraging, huh? Ezekiel. Let me tell you what he told Ezekiel. Ezekiel, they're talking about you. Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 30. Uh, Chapter 33, verse 30, as for you, son of man, your countrymen are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, saying, come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to listen to your words, but they don't put them into practice. 
Indeed, to them, you're nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but they don't put them into practice. Despite that, I charge you, whether they listen or not, you stand for truth. The Bible says John the Baptist, when he preached to Herod, Herod liked to listen to him, but Herod didn't do anything about it. But that's not my responsibility. It's not your responsibility. I just finished Jim Simbola's book, his latest book, called Spirit Rising. Just finished it last week. Great book. Let me read you one little section. Because if you think I'm any different than you, you're wrong. Same with Jim Simbola. A film crew and I were at the Brooklyn Heights Promenade, a pedestrian walkway that overlooks the East River in downtown Brooklyn, to tape the companion DVD for this book. But we had time to kill as we waited for it to get dark and for the lights from the southern tip of Manhattan to become visible. While the film crew arranged the lights and got the cameras in position, I noticed that a small group of people had stopped to watch. They probably thought we were shooting a commercial or wondered if I was someone famous. They stopped. uh, They stood watching, waiting, some licking ice cream cones while we prepared to film the next segment. Downtown Brooklyn has become a very trendy spot, and as often the case with trendy places, it isn't exactly the Bible Belt. Some might even call it godless due to the hostility of many neighborhoods toward Christian churches and their message. As I waited for my cue, I knew that my next sentences were going to address how life doesn't work unless we know Jesus Christ as Savior and the Holy Spirit empowers us. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, and I strongly sensed that these spectators wouldn't be thrilled with what I was going to say. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm any different from anyone else. I have the same desire to be liked, to fit in with everyone else. I'm not immune to the temptation of fear. At that moment, as I thought about what I would say and how much the crowd wouldn't want to hear it, a silent but strong pressure came over me. Because I didn't want to be sneered at, cowardice was tempting me, but I fought it. I asked the Lord for help. God, don't let me hold back in speaking for you because of possible hostility from these people. The camera lights came on. The director counted down, three, two, one, and he gave me the cue. I started talking. My lines took just two minutes, but the reaction of the crowd took even less. As soon as I mentioned Jesus, some of the people dropped their heads and walked away. When I mentioned salvation, others brazenly stared at me as if to say, are you out of your mind? By the time I finished talking, not one person from the crowd was left, but I got the words out. I spoke boldly about Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. There's a lot to learn from the Apostle Paul's second letter to Timothy. This book was written with great purpose as one of God's passionate evangelists neared the end of his life. We hope that you've learned along with Timothy what it means to continue serving God, no matter your circumstances and life stage. Here at The Living Word, we'd like to pray for you as you continue to run this race of life. Would you send a quick email to us and let us know how we can do that for you? You can reach us at info at ccfstpete.church. That's info at ccfstpete.church. If you'd like to listen to more messages from 2 Timothy or explore other teachings Pastor Danny Hodges has shared, you can do so by visiting our website, ccfstpete.church. 
We'd also like to encourage you to find and dive into a local church fellowship if you haven't already. Being part of a church community is important to your growth in your relationship with the Lord, as well as a place that you can find and give support for each day of your journey here on earth. Are you in the St. Petersburg area? We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet each Saturday at 6 p.m. and again on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Find out more about Calvary Chapel Fellowship at our website. If you can't join us in person, we do offer a live stream of our weekend services. Just visit ccfstpete.church and click on the link in the menu. Thanks for tuning in today to The Living Word.